Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Arguments Podcast, and um, today we're joined by but Dave Vistles and myself and Sean's here as well. The reason being that our normal full squad is half our team is going to England. Jared's moved full time. Tyler, Tyler's also gone there on holiday, so myself and Sean have been left to sort of hold the fort down. So we thought, um, if if you are going to bring someone in for the day, we thought we'd bring the big guns in and and bring in and bring in Dave Vistles and um, yeah to chat about the Springboks and the Wallabies, massive weekend and um, helps that for us to have a, you know, a podcast on Monday. Normally we just review games, but thanks to Jock Nino's kindness, it's released the POC, the POC test for the weekend. So we, we, have something <laughs> to get, we have something to get stuck into. And um, But yeah, excited to have, to have Dave back and excited yeah, for another episode of Rugby. But I think uh, you might hear myself and Sean's voice for a while for this couple of weeks. But you're excited and we brought you a bit to see you today. And um, yeah, excited. Boys, how are you guys doing? Sean, you all? Hi, Matt. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. It was a nice little uh, sort of relaxing-ish weekend from a rugby point of view, like a little bit of a spacer after the spacer. So it was was quite nice, but looking forward to the next few weeks. Oh, yeah, 100%. It was, it was, it was, I know the missus of my side was very happy there was no rugby this weekend, but then she had to deal with me watching watching Chelsea play soccer. So either way, I was still <laughs> angry. So that <laughs> so was a tough weekend. Doug, how are you doing? I'm going good, Cook. Thanks for thanks for having me back. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to get the call up after the after my last performance. So it's always I must have not been too bad. <laughs> the fact that you're having me back, so I appreciate it. Problem is, David, when you see from Carl Lewis first, I think you you made home when the other bits you're was there right before. Well, so you're doing well. So it will become. Look, I'm I'm no PSP, so um, and I know he's a, I know he's a big name on on this on this podcast, but uh, hopefully I can. <laughs> <laughs> I can at least come to the party a bit. Shots fired. I love it. And the best part is when we can fire shots at guys that can't stand up for themselves. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jared, that's all for you, man. <laughs> no, 100%. Apparently, PSP was upset when Jared moved to, to London. Now, I wonder if, if you can get to any of the, the Bulls merchandise over there. Piers moving as well, yeah. So, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually the main, the main reason Jared left. So. <laughs> Uh, that's the kind of that's the kind of insight we 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 have you here for. Like <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that like deep down information that no one really knows about. And when you bring it out, then it's like, oh shit, it just makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, quick, so, uh, we, 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 I don't know anything about soccer, so I, I can't watch Chelsea on the weekend. But what I did do is I went down to some schoolboy games, and she's the the level of. Uh, of intensity and 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 skill and everything is very impressive, isn't it? Like I watched I watched the the Rondebosch Weinberg game, um, and I was just blown away by it. just the athleticism of the players. The, the I thought the the, level, the coaching was it was obviously excellent, like the technical detail that the players executed with, and then just the sheer physicality of it is just another level. Like I I don't know if I could play rugby as a as a schoolboy anymore. I, that crushed me like a worm, you know. Like I, um, but it's it's brilliant to watch. Eh? And uh, yeah. um, there's a couple of really, really big games in Cape Town coming up this weekend, as you know. Bishop, Bosch Bishops uh, is probably the big decider. So it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, um, it, it, it was still a very fun rugby weekend. Yeah, I managed to catch. I managed to catch the the Delvers Queens game, and geez, again, that was proper, proper thriller as well. Like you said, David, I think the level of schoolboy rugby. I thought it would sort of dip with COVID, but it's, it just seems like they're just the, the, the kids have been on it, spot on. The skill level, the skill level has improved. The physicality. I remember I went to watch the first uh, Ronda Bosch and Bishop's game. You know, they said the Ronda Bosch side, especially that pack, is so physical. And um, then you yeah. think to yourself, like, man, these guys have been playing rugby for two years, and 
and, and, and you look at like Bishops, for example, they got a young side this year and and they, they, they had a bunch of great wins to start the season and sort of struggled a bit with injuries. But I'm really excited for that the, the, um, Bish Bosch game this weekend. That, that should be a cracker. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'd imagine people watching, say, for example, a Bishops or whatever, where you can be successful for, for a long period of time and the standards are very high, the expectations are very high. They've had a couple of, you know, generational type teams come through there, I think, in the last couple of years. If I think of their team, unfortunately, during COVID on paper, it was just this exceptional team. Um, and now they've had one or two bumps along the way, you know, like they, they lost to Sachs on the weekend. Um, but I think it's worth worth sort of thinking for all of us who enjoy rugby and uh, I guess value the the ethos, ethos of the game as much as anything is how do you respond as a, as a school community or whatever, when your school isn't going quite the way that you want it to go, whatever the case may be. And it's, a, it's an interesting challenge for a school like Bishops, you know, where, yeah, that as I say, they haven't had the run at rubber the green the last couple of weeks. How how do they how do they get around as a school community and 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 uh, behave in a way that's that's admirable that that treats it as a learning experience for the kids, does all of that stuff? Because I think there's a danger when games get so hyped up and the atmosphere is so intense, like I saw at the at the at the Rondebosch Weinberg game, that the losing team. It, it, I think for both the winning and the losing team, it can it can the result can swell totally out of proportion, you know, uh, for what it actually is, which is a schoolboy rugby match, to be to be honest. Um, and I think it's worth just us all remembering that that these these are, these are kids, <laughs> and um, um, yeah, and I, you know, I said to someone the other day, it's one of the one of the great things of coaching is that you never you're never as bad as you think you are, and you're never as good as you think you are. That the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, but sometimes when you're in that run of couple of losses on the trot or you're getting a couple of wins on the trot you think you've top of the world you're absolutely unbeatable um you just gotta be sure you're not behaving in a way that when you look back on it in three or five years time that you're not a little bit embarrassed about the carry on you know um and um yeah and i think it's just worth remembering at this point of the season because i think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on schoolboys and people associated with schoolboy rugby around about this time of the year because it's for most people on their last weekend the kind of big finale game of the year and uh, how you respond to it, how you how you treat kids in that environment, I think is pretty important. Especially when you're finishing on games like like the, your biggest game of the season. It's funny this year I went to go watch uh, Marysburg College versus Hilton at the Marysburg College reunion, and Marysburg had lost. They'd won the fourteen A's, fifteen A's, sixteen sixteen A's seconds, and won most of the games. But the first team lost to Hilton, and some of the old mm. boys after the game, I was like, grabbing a beer with them. They're like, oh, "Our rugby's going." Uh, Right, he's in the dumps at Maritzburg. You're like, guys, you've won 80% of the games. Like, you lost the first team game to a side that's put to the country. And like, now you go to those kids and calling them, like saying, oh, right, he's in the dumps. You're like, guys, it's, 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 it's 70 minutes of rugby. You're playing against a side. It's, it's, they're having a dream here. And it happens. Right? But next year, the roles will be reversed. There's that great quote, Cooks, where the guy with the quote something is about, like, you know, youngsters these days. Young people these days have no respect for their elders, blah, blah, blah. And the quote's from 1882, you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like every generation says that about the next generation. You know, you get into matric or whatever it is, you always say, ah, I stand at sixes. They don't respect them. It's just it's the same thing goes round and round. But I guess my point is a slightly different one, which is just it, it's, it's incumbent on the parents to model uh, what it's like to win and lose with dignity, I guess. Um, and it's not to say you've got to enjoy winning or you've got to enjoy losing. Um, but 
you know, I guess I've seen some examples this weekend where that got totally out of control, out of perspective, and that's a really unhealthy environment. And it's just, uh, I guess if I could, I could plead and make a plea to people, just remember, there's just kids, you know, and, and, and by the way, most of the people who support them in the school system are some of them volunteers and, 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 and majority of them teachers who are not professional coaches, you know, um, I think at the first team level, that's slightly different, but certainly at the age group level that they, they run by teachers, you know, and, um, our, our job is to support those people, not the other way around. No, hundred percent. I think David, we would do, we would cut up the, this last five minutes and sort of just probably send it to each school per, for, for every derby day. I think we should, we should play this club for, for all the parents and sort of put on a loop for them. Cause yeah, I mean, it does get, yeah, it does get scary for these kids. And, and, and you sort of think that, like I said, it is just a, a schoolboy game. There is no points involved. There is no trophy in the day. Like, we have, for example, in the rugby championship. But um, before we get stuck into the Springbok for Swallabies, um, the first phase question this week was, what are your favourite your favorite Tri-Nation slash rugby championship memories? And um, obviously this competition has been around for a while now. So I had to ask Sean, first thing that came to your mind, when you think of your favourite Tri-Nations and rugby championship moment? Oh, mine is... Um, I had a little trip down memory lane with this. So that's what I love about the first phase. You actually can have a good good little tonk down and have a have a look-see. But the first thing that popped up uh, for me was uh, Lomu scoring the try in one of the greatest rugby games ever, or, the, or what's it dubbed, the greatest rugby match ever played. Um, Australia versus New Zealand in Australia. Uh, what was it, 24 all at halftime? It was in 2000. And... Uh, and uh, Oh, I think the Wallabies were basically with 15 minutes left set to win the game and um, ended up the All Blacks beating them 39 or 35-39. Incredible game. Like flipping a game of two halves, excuse the, 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 the yawn <laughs> pun, but uh, yeah, it was flipping incredible. I was looking at the All Blacks side. I mean, there's, it's just littered with absolute legends of the game scott robinson one of them as well maybe maybe soon to be all black coach you never know but yeah flip eh? what what a game 35 39 in australia all blacks go back to win it incredible test also in the middle of an incredible wallaby run as well when that was when the because that was when the what you call it, the players cup actually still stayed in australia they haven't seen it for a while now but i mean that was yeah, incredible players incredible game i still I remember under the roof as well the in a closed stadium. And you, Dave, what sort of, when you think of the Tri-Nations and Rugby Championship, yeah. what, what are some of your favorite memories? Oh, geez, I, I'd have a few. I reckon Peter Rousseau's try in 1998 against the All Blacks at Athletic Park. Remember that one? He slices through, scores under the poles. Um, yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're if you ever feeling down, just YouTube that bad boy. <laughs> Lift the spirits. Um, <laughs> it was an amazing moment. I thought Coral Duplessis, I think it might have been his last game or his second last game where he really thrashed Australia. You remember Percy Montgomery had such a blinder of a game. Sadly, Yeah, I think sadly. Yeah, that was the end of Coral Duplessis. But, you know, he promised this kind of running style of rugby for all of his tenure and didn't deliver. And then sort of in the last two games, we started to see it, you know, and, um, um, but anyway, that was, that was an amazing game. And of course, Bobby Skinstead's uh, dummy where he one handed, you know, shows the ball and ends up under the sticks was a pretty special moment too. Yeah. Oh, the, 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 the Bobby Skinstead dummy was made Bobby Skinstead my favorite rugby player for about 
watched it was great. I, I still remember that being I was I was about seven only, and I, and I remember watching it. And I was just I remember I was so like just you know, like stole me because all the Ford you'd seen it was like big and brute and well, this this, yeah. this guy comes in show and go and yeah. it was like and it was thing. it was such a such a dynamic moment that it was hard not to notice it and then you know things actually started to unravel a little bit there for the box if you remember because that was the end of Nick Mallet's tenure yeah. and Gary Teichman was the incumbent number eight and then we went through to that ninety nine World Cup with with you know all the uncertainty around the captaincy and all sorts of things and. Um, I just wonder whether we, if we'd hung on to, to Teichman, um, and backed him more, I guess, and 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 uh, been less uh, lured by Bobby Skinstead, whether that competition would have would have ended differently. You need a beer kick in those five drop goals or whatever, which I watched again the other day for 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 fun. But anyway, that's how it goes. It's all all nice in retrospect. I think. Um... I think we know what Dave does now. There's a regular weekend. He just goes and announce great YouTube deep dive for anything between '98 <laughs> and '99. Uh, <laughs> which I think that the the the, the Teichman and Teichman and Skinstead is that's the podcast within its own that no one sort of needs Nick Mallet and Bobby Skinstead and Teichman sort of sit down and sort of each other. This was put needs to put needs to put that together. Hundred percent. Oh, I think I was thinking my favorite moment of the Tri Nations and the Rugby Championship. The rugby championship, my favorite one, obviously has to for me was the 2013 and 2014 Springbok and All Blacks Test Edos Bok. Those were two absolute mm-hmm. thrillers. Mm-hmm. But in the tri, my, in the tri nations, my favorite one was when I was, when I was 13 in 2005. My dad got me a DVD of the first 10 years of the tri nation, sort of like a highlights compilation of of every single game, yeah. and it was one of the greatest. I remember being 13. I remember watching Christian Cullen. He scored a try in 97 against the All Blacks where Zinzan sort of got out wide and threw this massive pass to. I remember being at 13 and like watching Christian Cullen and I'm like, this doesn't seem normal. Like everyone else is running and people are quick, but the, the, the way he's running and swimming, yeah. he doesn't look like a normal rugby player. And I remember like get, getting a bit older and sort of trying to understand the game and you're like, you like you learn the rules, you learn how to coach and things like that. And you're like, you know, this wasn't normal. And you, and you look how the... I always said it was Christian Cardi's hardest package, how well they've aged. The, the more rugby grows, the more, like almost the better and better he gets through time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's, what's, what's kind of funny, if you look back at the 2007 World Cup and you look at, at the relative disorganization of the defense compared to just you know, 15 years later, it's almost like a, totally, it's like a different game. Um, and so the game evolves really quickly, but in the same breath, Things also tend to repeat themselves in the game, you know. Like what's happened is, uh, we spoke about a bit about it last time. Is if, if you know, at the ruck, the defensive ruck uh, blasting has gone almost out of the defensive ruck. There's become a massive ball focus, um, and um, you know, back in the early two thousand or so, about two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven, a lot of the defense, a lot of the focus in on defensive system was around being connected. Um, so yes, you wanted to bring line speed, but the priority was always to do that in a way that was connected. Now, the, the priority is total line speed at the risk of getting disconnected. It's just go, you know, go for your life. Um, and what's happening is some attacks, if you look at Ireland and Leinster, are learning to play around that type of attack now. Um, uh, sorry, that type of defense. Uh, and so what I think you'll see is you'll start to see the, the needle move back the other way a little bit to at certain 
areas of the field, defenses started to focus a little bit more on being connected, a little bit more on putting pressure through the breakdown, committing massive numbers there rather than needing to actually steal the ball. They'll slow the ball down and slow the attack down by committing numbers and just making that an absolute shit fight. Um, and, and so it's not, a, it's not a new concept, but it's kind of gone out of vogue a bit and now it'll come back in, I think, as, as defenses start to, uh, or, or attack starts to catch up to what defense, how, how much defense has changed in the last few years, it'll, it'll, you know, defense now will have to adapt. So it's this kind of cat and mouse, cat and mouse game. But it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to watch that 2007 World Cup because, you know, rugby has moved a long way. And I think even in terms of the athleticism of some of the players has moved a long way in a very short space of time. Yeah, 100%. And I think, like you said, it's so, it, it's so weird to see how, I love your point you mentioned, how this sort of the, the things come back and they, the more things change, the more they stay the same, or things or, or the way teams attack, it does get varied now, the way teams defend, like with Ireland. And I, I, I always wonder really what, what the next trend will be, what, what will be the next thing, but, um, but <laughs> we could go down a rabbit hole on that. But, um, but guys, as you know, this weekend we had a break last week. There was no rugby championship. And this weekend we go again with round three with Argentina leading the rugby championship. Every team has won a game. Every team has lost a game. So we, we might be looking at the tightest, tightest rugby championship yet. But this weekend at, at half past seven, as people know, as I've ranted before, that the game this weekend is at half past seven in the morning. So make sure you have a long set. But, I mean, Dave, start with you. Obviously, box Wallabies this weekend is going to be a big one. I think before we look at the box side, where do you think the box are at the moment? Do you think, obviously, coming off that last, that tough loss to the All Blacks, do you think they, they're in a good space? I mean, yes, you may have lost the game, but the attack probably looked as, at its best. It's looked all season. Yes, you may have lead a few tries, but do you think the box are, healthy, are at a healthy place at the moment? Yeah, I guess, I guess let me let me also just touch on what you said about the kind of uncertainty of outcome, you know, like the fact that there are so many teams in the mix, because I reckon is really interesting because one of the things I learned from the AFL in, 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 in Australia is that they've got a draft system. So basically how it works is that the team who finishes last gets first pick of the, young, the best young players coming through. And if you do that really well, you, you can basically spend three or four years building your, your playing list uh, and then end up being really competitive and you're starting to compete for championships is, is pretty much the expectation. So the, the whole system is designed to give all teams a bite of the cherry effectively. So um, every, every group of supporters goes through peaks and troughs, you know, sometimes they're competing for the championship, sometimes they're rebuilding, but everybody stays engaged, you know, and one of the one of the challenges I think you've had, say, for example, in Super Rugby is the, the pure dominance of, this, of the Crusaders ha, has diluted interest from, from fans of other teams. I mean, uh, and that's obviously not the Crusaders' fault. I mean, they, they, they've done an excellent job of doing what they, they set out to do. But um, uncertainty of outcome is one of the great things in sport. And I think it's, it's wonderful that this, this, uh, this competition, Rugby Championships at the moment, you know, we're, all, we're, we're one all of one all across four teams, you know, which is, which is amazing. So it's going to be an exciting couple of weeks. Um, where do I think the box are at? I thought the, the, the All Blacks were outstanding in the second test. I think they did a couple of things to change the nature of the, the game. Um, in, in the first test, we, I think it felt to everybody watching, you could feel that we were going from pressure point to pressure point in the Springbok game 
in the areas that we knew we could dominate them. So we went from, we dominated in the set piece. We had a kicking game that, that worked for us and created more pressure. We then on the back of that piled uh, defensively, were able to, 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 to create another pressure point and really bring massive line speed and physicality. So the game played into our hands. The, if the All Blacks went into the second test trying to do the same thing but better, we would have won again. But they didn't do that. They were strategically outstanding in uh, changing the nature of the kicking game. So uh, I think changed the shape of their backfield to put more support in behind the ball um, and ensure that we got less pay for our, for our own contestable kicking game. We didn't kick as accurately as we did in, in the first test, by the way, as well. Uh, that was because, for one, there was, I think, more, more uh, uh, pressure at the breakdown and the point of contact. And then I think this, the, the, the third thing of the kicking game is they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't allow us to put, they didn't put the ball out as much as they did in the first game. They kicked, you know, there's a, there's a great moment towards the end of the game where Barrett gets the ball and just inside his 22 and just kicks long down the middle of the field. That's a hard ball to pick up in backfield for the box because what are we going to do with that? We have to carry a phase. We can counter kick, uh, in which case we are then probably conceding some ground and allowing them unstructured possession to come back at us, which is exactly the type of position that the, that the All Blacks want. Or we can force them to, uh, uh, to, to, to we, we, you know, we, we were forced to carry a phase, in which case they are able to then try and put us under pressure defensively. Um, and, and so what, what, what it didn't allow us to do was to contest, counterpunch, go back to a contestable straight away in an easy sequence. And so they drew us into this longer, longer activity cycles um, and, and more open field. They, they, you know, they made the field bigger by, by kicking for distance more than kicking contestable. So I thought it was just strategically excellent. And the game felt different. You, know, um, you made the comments, I think, that the All Blacks, uh, that we attacked better. And I, and I thought we'd we did attack better, but there was more space for attack. And the reason there was more space is because they, they resourced their backfield more heavily than in the previous game. And so it felt like there was more room. I'd actually be almost a little bit critical to say we should have used the room that they showed us more efficiently um, and we should have really put them to the sword. But we then got drawn into playing this kind of running, more kind of open game that is not our DNA. Uh, and that's what took the game away from us ultimately. Now. One thing that's also a bit worth saying is that if look when you Lucanio makes that line break on the on the kick return, if we score, then I think we probably still win the game. So it's a ve- it's it's a very very tight thing. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think I think that the All Blacks were, you know, were just excellent in the way that they changed the dynamic of the contest. What was the contest about this week versus in round one? It was it was about different stuff, and it was about the stuff that they were good at rather than the stuff we were good at. Yeah, so many um, of the fans, it's almost like we had lost quite, the fans had lost quite a lot of disrespect or had disrespected the All Blacks a lot more and really expected them to be almost toilet rugby players where they weren't. They were always going to be there and thereabouts. It was just we really needed to put our foot on the throat and finish them. And I I think we didn't. But they were going to come back. We just needed to be ready. And on the, on the attack, I thought like we were more expansive on attack, but I agree totally that we, we didn't utilize it well. We, there, we made a number of errors on, on attack where we made great yards, but we just didn't then finish it off. And that comes with, with 
time in the saddle. Um, and also, it, it, like you say, it's not really in our DNA. So we do have to practice it a little bit more. But we've got to get to the point where we are, like we've got a whole bunch of little puzzle pieces that we're putting together. Once we put that puzzle together, which obviously the plan is for, for the World Cup next year, um, that we, we're working on things slowly but surely. But I agree that we didn't, we didn't make all that space from attacking. We saw the space and went for it, and then we weren't able to really finish it all. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Sean. I mean, um, I, th- I think we should have been more, more ruthless with the ball that we had. One of the nice ways to think about the game is from whistle to whistle, what's the outcome? So if you think of the entire activity cycle, it starts with a restart, they kick it back, we then get it, counterpunch, we then kick it, et cetera, et cetera. After all of that happened, what happens? What's the outcome? Where do we end up? Do we end up in the next zone of the field, upper zone of the field? Do we have possession? Do they have possession? And that's a, that's, that's a way to, to not get sucked into the, the, uh, the kind of uh, – attractiveness of running the ball or kicking the ball or whatever uh you 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 have to see the idea for what it is you know what's the outcome of the idea um and i I felt that at times we you know we had a lot of movement a lot of activity but without great outcomes um or not certainly not the outcomes that i think we would have hoped for um so yes the game felt very different but the game felt very different because the all blacks designed it to feel different um, and we got, we got, uh, uh, sucked into that a little bit, as opposed to going back to a power-based game that was super confrontational, that, um, ha- had a lot of time under pressure, so time, time at the mall, time at the scrum, creating fatigue, doing all of those things to see them, uh, run out at the back end of the game. Instead, it was this open game with long activity cycles. It's not built for Franz Malherbe. That type of game is not is is not built for Franzi. So they sucked us into a way of playing that didn't necessarily suit us. Well, that being said, um, like you said, us being sucked into a game that didn't suit us, and I think you can sort of you, you can see elements of that. Like you said, it, it may look like we were, we were out of steam because we were activity was more than normal to the, the normal, you know, the common eye. You, you saw comments of guys saying maybe the box did hit the wall in the second half, but when you put in a way where you say you, when, when the opposition forces you to play into a style, especially like the All Blacks, if they force you to play the, the rugby they want to play, they tend to they tend to put sides away because they, that's that's that, that's where they live in. And I thought they were able to do that very well, especially in Ellis Park and in print, the way they wanted to play. And it's going to be sort of interesting to see if the Wallabies can sort of try and do the same thing, especially at home. Do you think the box... Um, Sean, do you think the box could fall, could fall into that trap again this weekend against the Wallabies? Oh, I, <laughs> I'm, I, I haven't even had a chance to really think about it, but I, I'd, li- I'd like to think we won't, especially because of how we got hurt last year and especially considering the loss we've just faced in round two and what we're heading for another doubleheader against Australia in Australia. But... You know, the more I look at like the results and I see the history of us playing in Australia, we really like uh, <laughs> we're not great. Like we we we've struggled a fair amount there. So I I think that's also one of the reasons why we've named the squad. We've named is we left late. We've only had our first practice today, if I'm not mistaken. So I think like less movement where everyone can just stay focused on what they need to stay focused on and 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 get going. But uh, I think. I don't. I think things will be different, and I don't think we'll be 
taken into too many, drawn into too many holes that we, we can't really get back in control of soon, I'm hoping, because we, we, we have an opportunity to really put the, the muscle on the Wallabies, which we did last year as well, to, to be fair. But I think we've got another great chance and we've got a much better, much better side and squad. And there's there's a there's a great um, uh, piece of data from um, I think it's Craig Gray. I'm actually just trying to find it where he talks about Gray but here. Yeah, since the game went professional in 1996, the box have won four out of 29 tests against the Wallabies in their part of the world. It's been nine long years Crazy. since the box last success down in the 38-12 bonus point win in Brisbane. I mean that's that's a hell of a record. Um, for whatever reason, we, we've struggled there. That game that we won, the last one, we won the year before in Australia as well. So we won two in the trots in, on Australian soil. But before that and after that, it, it's been barren, Matt. It's been like the freaking Sahara. Yeah. But it's, like, but it, it's, it's crazy because, I mean, you know, some of the weirdos are when, when the Wallabies come here, they almost, they probably almost have a similar record because they, they struggle big time. Normally when they come here, and they, their record isn't as a sharp year but Dave do you think that plays into players heads like you know knowing that you go to a certain sporadically go to a certain town or you go to a certain ground or like for the box that you go to Australia do you think that sort of plays the cycle of the players that like shit we can't we actually do struggle over here and we, we don't our record our record in Australia isn't as great and, and we don't play at Brisbane now but do you, how much do you think that does play a role in the player psyche and the coach's psyche um, I, I'd imagine it, it, you know, it's something that they would be aware of. There's something that we're doing to create that kind of record that we need to change, you know, and it's whether we used to stay in this hotel in Coogee Beach. Now, Coogee Beach is a very nice place, very nice part of Sydney. Um, it's, it's, the hotel is literally on the beach. So the, the boys are in the budgie smugglers down at the beach trying to pick up birds from Sydney. You're looking for their ticket out of there. And, um, <laughs> Nothing good happens at Sydney Beach Hotel, at the Coogee Beach Hotel. Um, and so we used to go in there every year, stay there, get beaten by the Waratahs and go home. And eventually we changed the hotel and the results started to be different. And I think we, we had a very good record eventually against the Waratahs. But the setting of the hotel was got boys going there and mentally and emotionally, just because of the surroundings, feeling you know, as, almost as if they were on holiday. Um, and there was a, there's a big beer garden down, you know, down at the bottom and guys would be thinking about getting on the beers and, and all sorts of stuff that was not conducive to high performance. Um, and so we needed to change and it was an unpopular decision when we did it, but it, you know, it was something we needed to change. And there may be things that, that we do as, as, as a Springbok team, I don't know where the box stay, but, um, I think probably in double Bay, um, that, you know, maybe there's things like that, 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 that aren't working for them because clearly the record the record hasn't uh, that hasn't worked. So they'll be looking at all those sort of things. I mean, one thing I keep saying about Jacques and Rassi in particular is th these guys are super well planned. You know, they they don't they don't leave a stone unturned. Um, and certainly, like beating both New Zealand and Australia away will be a huge um, goal for them in the lead up to the World Cup now to prove that they can beat both of those teams in away games. Um, is 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 critical. It's, it's it's similar to our win in uh, in Wellington last, you know, prior to the first World Cup, uh, the previous World Cup. Um, it just psychologically really would cement us. So I think you'll see us build into these two Test matches quite nicely. And I think um, you know we should expect a real bomb cracker, I reckon, on on Saturday. 
Sure, and um, <laughs> we need to double check next week to see where the boxes are staying when they're playing Sydney. If you, if, if, if you any mention of of Fuji Beach, we, we, we got to send messages yeah, now. Well, <laughs> You know they're playing in Adelaide, which is also an unusual venue for a for a Test match because they don't you know they don't traditionally have a Super Rugby team. They've got quite a, a healthy club rugby culture there, but it's a it's a, it's a, it's it's not a big a big play, a particularly big place Adelaide. So um, I'd be interested to see how they've how they've gone about their build up. You know they would fly into Sydney, that they stick around in Sydney for a couple of days, and then and then go to Adelaide, or you know how they thought about those things. Um, but um, Adelaide does have quite a a kickback and relaxed kind of atmosphere around. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they've managed to keep the intensity up at the right times this week to be able to build into the performance. If I'm not mistaken, I think we have gone straight to Adelaide, and I think the the Wallabies are only arriving on Thursday. So I think we're straight yeah we we missed we missed our original flight, Sean. We missed. I know we, we were delayed in the original flight. We had to fly out a day later, so I don't know whether yeah. I, I'm not too sure whether then we were still able to fly. You know. To Adelaide or not, um, but th- that was the original plan. But I think we missed the, the original the, the, yeah. the first flight. And and we also only had our first training session today. Wait, here we go. I, I saw a tweet from Matt Pierce. Um, they are in Adelaide, so it says first trim, Springbok training session in the very cold and very wet Old Collegians Club in Adelaide. So they have gone straight there. But I mean, that would have killed them uh, a couple of a day or two, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and and you know sometimes maybe what you need is the rest too, right? Like you you you've gone back to back rugby for a for quite an extended period. Mm-hmm. You've, had, you've had a tough series against Wales. You've got a big international tour, maybe, and 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 you you're coming off the emotional distress of a you know a loss and a, and and, a, and um, sometimes I guess as a young coach I would have pushed harder. I would have gone more training, more everything. And sometimes experience just probably tells you after a while just take your foot off the throat, let people just breathe a bit regroup go again you know so it might work in our favor sean it might you know delayed flights and all that sort of stuff and um being in a, a bit of a non-traditional rugby place all of that might play into our hands i hope it does obviously maybe also playing in a cricket, in a cricket stadium could uh, change our fortunes in australia but um as you, as you guys know that um jogging over named his his side today with a couple of changes where kaland comes in on the right wing um We've got Faf de Klerk back back at nine after, after after his concussion. Then on the bench, we've gone for a five-three split. Um, no, no Villeru. We've got Alton Yankees back, Franz Stein back. No, no Jasper Visa. Um, Dweba and Dwayne are starting again. So yeah, a couple of changes made by the coaches. And Sean, I'm start with you. Um, two questions. First and foremost, how far are we from Jacques Nino naming his side for the next week directly after the game during his post-match interview? And um, what what are, you, what are your thoughts on the side? Mate, um, I wouldn't be surprised, and just kind of echoing what Dave mentioned about how well-planned they are, I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped the, the team naming at halftime. Like, it really, uh, it, it really wouldn't surprise me. The guys will probably know who's starting uh, against, um, against Ireland in the opening test in November already. So that was that. I'm sorry, I got, I got so excited to tell that funny joke. I forgot your second question. What was it? <laughs> no, so what, what, were your, what is your initial thoughts on the side as you saw it so i actually had a little inkling that that um we'd probably stick with joe joe dweber i just wasn't quite sure how we would manage the the rest of front row i thought that kids might start for them but 
I either way, I was pretty confident that um, Dweber was going to get a lot more minutes. And I stand by the guys that are in the squad are in the squad for a reason. And it's very it's difficult to judge a guy's ability when you're looking at what Dweber and Dwayne brought against the All Blacks on that performance. So they've obviously got more to offer and they're obviously there for a reason. And uh, we've seen very, very, very little knee-jerk reactions come from Jacques Ninaba, like dropping guys from squads and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, w- I wasn't surprised when I saw it. And I think also because of the delay we had and, and because of arriving late and only having our first training session today, keeping the side as stable and as the same as possible is probably one of the best things we could have gone for. You don't really need to teach new things. You would have had a full week of training ahead of the All Blacks in this setup. You'd have had a full bit of training before we left and this week. So I think it's probably the best shot for the continuity and the disruption that we've had. Yeah, I agree with you, Sean. I think the less disruptions, the better. And, um, I must say, I think it's the first time I've ever seen a side being named so early in the week. Dave, are you a fan of the of the of the Monday team selection and letting the public know in the position? No, listen, here's our side. We'll see you. We'll see you on the weekend. Yeah, you know, I, I spoke about this with uh, on another podcast with Carl Lewis and some just saying, I don't know, I don't know what the thing is in rugby about having to name your team early. You know, why don't we do what soccer does, which is leave it as a surprise, as a talking point before the game. Um, Somebody said, oh, it's because we can talk about who's in the team. I said, well, you can also talk about who might be in the team, which just seems to me a, a, a much more fun thing to speculate on than actually knowing. You know. Um, anyway, what it does do is it allows, it allows the opposition coaches, et cetera, and the opposition players to, to think tactically about um, you know, how they might play us and, and what we're going to try to do. The great thing is it's of no surprise what we're going to try to do. You know, our game, our game model, the way we play, is really well understood by not only us but of our opposition, and we back ourselves just to execute it with such intensity and such accuracy that that teams can't live with us. Um, and and so that's why they name the team early is I think to give our own players such confidence that like we you know we back you, we back our systems, we back what we're doing. We don't care what the opposition is going to bring, really, in a way, you know. Yeah, it's 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 worked it's it's worked so far, I guess, you know. Um these this as you said, this this group of um this group of coaches is so well planned that they they are probably thinking to themselves, you know, I play like Dwayne Vermeule and is he does he have another World Cup in him? You know, does um you know, does Warwick Halant have a have a place in a in a World Cup squad where you can only select thirty three players? Uh, and so there's a bit of needing to to expose those guys now to one or two games to to get answers to those questions because I think if they're trying to figure that out uh, early next year, then it's it's probably too close to the World Cup. And um, I think Jasper Visser has done enough to get into the 33-man squad for the for the World Cup. I thought he played he was exceptional in the in the first test um, against the All Blacks. Um, now they're trying to figure out whether they go with Dwayne as a, as a, as a really experienced number eight, uh, or do they, do they back, uh, you know, one of, um, either or, 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 or even for that other spot, um, or alternatively just go with, you know, the likes of Quacha Smith, those players that they already have in the squad to cover multiple positions so that they can 
they can accommodate some some other specialist position in the, in the group of 23. Um, so that's that's I think the some of the rationale behind some of the selections is wanting to fit in the last few unknown pieces together in the, in their planning uh, ahead of the World Cup. Dave, when you like. How many days out from a game do you know your side? Barring barring a niggle yeah. or a training injury, like I yeah. reckon you. I mean, you'll obviously <laughs> you'll obviously be able to tell me, but I reckon like you guys, the head coaches and and most of the guys know their side already. Sunday, Monday, you know. Yeah, no, I, I'd say before that, Sean. I mean, uh, for 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 me, the way the way we would do it is. Um, as we're preparing to set, play round, round one, so for example, in the middle of that week of training of round one, I'm already looking at the games that the opposition for round two in, in my spare time. Uh, we will then have a, a coaches meeting prior to the game of round one for the preparation for game two. So we'll plan the week. We'll know what the big rocks are that we, that we have to think about for the opposition. We'll have a draft selection in place. Then what happens is on the Sunday, after the game for round one, you'll do your review, and you may tweak some of the messaging for, for round two based on the performance, and you may tweak some of the selection, uh, often because of injury. But in general, your, your, you know, you, 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 your, the 80 90% of your work, certainly in my case, in our case as, as, a, as a group, would have been done by the time you're getting to Sunday. So when you arrive there Monday morning, you already know what the team is. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think one of the other, the other things that the other reasons you want to do that is say, for example, you're playing a team in round two where you know restarts, for example, are a really big part of the game. You have the opportunity because you already know that to review restarts from round one as if they're a big work on for your team and something you really want to drive and put emphasis on, knowing that it's going to be a big factor in the game in round two. But you don't have to talk about the opposition. You only want to really start talking about the opposition maybe on Tuesday. So you can go through a whole review of restarts, a big important part for, uh, of the game for round two, without ever mentioning the opposition. You're just talking about your own standards, your own execution of what you want to do. And then it happens to come up later in the week that this is a big part of big part of the game for the next week so it's how you tie i guess the weeks together can only happen if you planned quite well in advance so that you have some continuity of thought and you're creating real simplicity in your messaging because you're linking a review into a preview without adding thousands of new bits of information that's awesome thank you i just remember when i used to coach at a school level i mean you always sort of when you coach first you always have your first 15 and you're like you get an injury, you go like, okay, cool, I guess I'm not going to make changes. And like, you used to feel so bad to some of the boys. You come, you have a clean bill of health, and the poor second team coach, we get an injury, the poor second team coach gets the call on the, on the Thursday night saying, listen, but I need a, I need to still want to, I need to still want to yeah. play on the weekend. Oh, man. And so, you, you know, Cooks, well, one, I've got, I mean, I've got a lot of regrets from things I did, stupid things I did when I was coaching. And I think one of them is I, I, I dropped a, I dropped a guy who'd played for us pretty much all season. I dropped him before the big derby game, almost like the last game of the season. And that was just me as an inexperienced coach. But I'd imagine 
it would have just broken the dude, you know, to be honest. Like he didn't play in the big derby game of the year. And it was such a stupid thing to do in retrospect. He played all year. He can't, the guy coming in ahead of him can't have been that much better than what he was, even if he was better or whatever. It was just a really poor, it was just really inexperienced from my side or whatever. And I guess it goes back to the conversation we were having at the start, right? Which is just give your coaches a little bit of breathing space. You know, they're trying their best, but they're going to make some mistakes often through inexperience or whatever, but they, they, uh, you know, um, yeah, how, how you handle that and, and how you, how you sort of deal with those things, I think is, is, is probably quite important. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It was, oh, gee, stroking a kid before a big derby was always the worst. But um, going back on the box, I think the big, the big talking point has been going back from which the box, which is always the bomb squad, was six two split or five three split. And um, sure, I mean, I mean, Dave's part of us. The, the, he's part of the Twitter crew now. He's in the dog, deep dog streets of Twitter. I never thought I'd ever see a Twitter page of. Normally, when the name Villaru comes up, it's it, it, it's down to guys being upset. I've never thought I'll see the day when Twitter's upset that Villaru is actually not playing, as opposed to him playing. Um, I think no one was too was too worried about who was playing. Sean, did you ever think, did you ever think you'd see the day where we'd have an outcry of people because I was well, besides Jared um, <laughs> crying that Villaru is not playing? Crazy, crazy. I mean, you you almost want to go back like down these guys' feet and just say, and this. And what about when you said this, you know, and you just like, and this and this, and you just send down 50 things for him to apologize for. <laughs> but that would just be childish. Um, it's really interesting. But the more, the thing is, is you can see, like I mentioned last week, like I really do kind of subscribe to what, uh, what Jacques Ninaba and co are doing and how they're going about it. And obviously coming off the back of what, um, what Rossi did and with Jacques obviously being involved moving forward there's clear plans that are being being implemented there are clear things that are being done and obviously there are tweaks here and there with a couple of injuries and whatnot but the whole point is is like th- with having Franz Stein and Dwayne Vermeulen like as Dave as you mentioned like w- what are we going to do with the two of them what are we going to do with Holland we we could there, 99% of South African Springbok fans could name you a match day 23 for a knockout game in the World Cup right now, like, and we would get it right because yeah, we which know was, which wasn't the case, which wasn't the case leading into the 2015 World Cup. I don't think, you know. So it shows, yeah. it shows no, what progress no we've made. You know, like there's a cemented team in there. You, you're seeing a bunch of players come in and rack up 50 games as a group. You know, like it started with, um, you know, Francie's had it, Kitsy's had it, uh, Malcolm Marks has had it. Yevon gets through 100. Um, so it's, 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 it's this massively experienced core of the group. And I think Sean, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but it's like, it feels to me like a Joseph Dweber. They're trying to figure out is Joseph Dweber our third hooker on this tour, you know, like, or are we going to ask Dion Ferry to cover us on at hooker and rather take another loose forward if we can only take 33 players. So they're putting mm-hmm. him in there back into the cauldron to sort of say, listen, there might've been a bit of rustiness last week. We can, we can forgive that. With a look, with a couple more uh, runs on the board now, can you go and produce a, a a performance that we'd be happy to say we need you in a World Cup final or a World Cup semi final? He's going to deliver, and if he's not, they need they've got you know a year to go and figure out who could be that guy. Yeah. Do you guys think? Um, obviously, 
someone like Joseph Durban are doing for me, and especially someone like Joseph Durban being being sort of obviously young and had a couple of caps. Dave, do you think it gives him a big confidence booster to know he, he may not have his, his best game against All Blacks, but still to know he goes into this tour now being backed, saying, listen, we're not bringing three because we're bringing two. We're backing you to go again. How much confidence and, does, and how much wonder does it do to a player, especially you'd say maybe he hasn't been playing at his best? Yeah, you know, players are players are human, eh, Cooks, and, and, and it depends very much on the individual. Like, I've definitely had experiences where a player wants to be dropped. You know, he 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 actually can't. He actually is not enjoying the pressure. Or maybe he just needs a way a way to just reset himself, and that's away from the spotlight and just almost hoping to be left out. So when you have the conversation with him, you're almost like deflated a bit because he, he gives you no pushback. And what if he just like accepts it and you're like, oh, geez. Uh, and then you get that player who 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 doesn't believe he had a bad game, which is a really difficult one for a coach because you're sitting there. Um, and you know, you, you think it's quite obvious this guy hasn't played well and, and he, he thinks he's played brilliantly. You know? What you get better at over time, I think, is coming to those meetings prepared and you come with data points. Uh, one of the tricks I learned quite early on was don't give all your data at once. So what will happen is a player, if you give all your data at once, a player can rationalize it away. He can say, oh, you know, oh, my leg was sore at that point or whatever. But if you break your data points up, He'll argue that specific point. So you may say your uh, your lift there was poor. So he comes up with something. Then you say this other thing, this other thing, this other thing. And after a while, you build up a, a body of evidence that he can't refute. And then he moves from uh, he he moves to to like a a place of awareness about uh, you know his his poor performance, and then he starts to accept it. If you let me give you a practical example. Sorry, I'm talking in circles. Let's say, for example, it's a behavioral thing. A player comes late to the team meeting. You can call him in and say, you know, you, you're late for the team meeting. What he might do, he might say, oh, you know, I'm stuck in traffic this morning. Or sorry, my car broke down. But if you split up your data points, you say you were late for the team meeting this morning. And on Tuesday, you came late for your physio he tells you that excuse and say, yeah, but you know, on Tuesday you came late for your physio appointment. It's, it's starting to feel to me like a trend as opposed to saying, yo, you came late for your team meeting and you were late for your physio all at once. Cause then he says, oh, you know, I've had, I've had car problems on both those days. An excuse that covers both of them. By breaking them up, you take away his ability to use one excuse to cover both options. And he's almost forced to then go, okay, cool. I see this is a trend. And then you can move him once he started accepted that to the point where you can start to action some some outcomes um so i think i think um yeah i guess in in terms of selection it's 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 being super clear for the players what do what do the coaches need them to work on you know what are the what are the deliverables the kpis in the game that are going to see them be in the 33 man squad the world cup or not are those players clear about it um and and if they are, then it's just keeping those guys accountable to them, measuring it, showing it to them. This is where you are. This is where you aren't. Um, this is what you need to do athletically to close a gap. This is what you need to do from a skill perspective to close a gap. What are the things that you need to fix um, to in order to get to the point where you need it, where you need to be? Um, and and it's and it's incumbent on the coaches to be super clear about that. One hundred percent. I think I think we mentioned. I think clarity is something that's probably one of the boxer's biggest strength. Like you said, we can all name the box side for for most things. So it's um 
so 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 for us it's um it, it's it's i think for players like to know when you're going to play where you're going to play i think it's I, I i think that i mean as a player i'm sure i mean because having played and as coaches you, you sort of do try and give as much clarity as you can i think that's where the box they sort of their strength is at the moment is a clarity but you look at the other side of the scale i mean we'll, we will have another pod this week where you sort of on Thursday, we, we do a deep dive on the Wallaby side when, when it comes out as well, and what more to expect from the box. But just mentioning clarity, I mean, the Wallabies have made, they've been known to to try out a few options, different options. And Dave Rennie obviously is building, is 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 is, is building a, a squad with depth, especially a young side that's ready to go to the World Cup. Um, Dave, where do you see the Wallabies' progression as of late? I mean, I know they lost their last game on Argentina by forty nine points, but if you watch that game again, that the, the definite opportunities in there where they could have actually won, and you look at you look at the last test against England, that first twenty minutes, I think they watched about three or four tries where they scored two of those, they win the series. So, like, so where do you think the, the, the progression is under Dave Rennie, especially, especially this year? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I guess I'm lucky in that I know most of the you know all of the coaches involved there, and there's some very very good coaches, and I think Dave Rennie is an excellent coach, and I think more than that, I think Dave Rennie is a very good man. I think he's 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 a man of very high integrity, um, and and a, and a guy that people generally want to play for. Yeah, but they 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 have a challenge in that they are on the edge of being able to put a string of wins together and build some momentum, but every time it looks like they're getting into that rhythm. They just fall off with a performance like they had against Argentina on Saturday and just and the wheels just totally come off, you know. So it still feels like you don't know which Wallaby team's going to rock up. And one of the things I, I feel about them is that they probably have enough depth to put, put together a really strong starting or match day 23 when, when, all, when all their players are fit. If they've got a Samu Karebi fit, a Quade Cooper fit, uh, these type of players, um, they they can beat any, anybody. The challenge is keeping them and getting them fit, and and what comes after them when those players are injured, and they don't have the the depth, I think, to sustain at this point a World Cup where there's there's a lot of games. There's there'll be a, a, an attrition a rate of attrition. Some of these big stars get injured. I think they could be they could be in a bit of strife. So it's interesting, you know, like. Um, Clearly, the Wallaby staff don't think the players have come out of the Super Rugby environments fit, fit enough. They've broken a few guys. They've broken a lot of guys at training. Dean Benton, who's head of athletic performance there, is, is a very, very experienced guy. He was with me at the Brumbies in 2011-12. And he's been with England with Eddie. He's won a lot of uh, things in the NRL. Like He's a very, very experienced operator. And so for players to be breaking in their environment at the rate they are now, uh, you'd have to ask what sort of state those players are going into that environment in, and that would be a concern for for, for Dave and his staff. Um, but they've made a change now. Also, in terms of the defence coach, Laurie Fisher, who I think is an excellent coach, um, is replacing um, Matt Taylor as the defence coach. I think we'll probably see Matt potentially turn up as the Reds head coach in in in, in 2024 when Brad Thorne uh, comes to the end of his contract. So Matt's an excellent coach, but uh, you know, Laurie Fisher has been one of those guys. He's almost like the face of Australian rugby from a coaching point of view with his bucket hat and his, and his Gandalf beard, but he's a real personality and he drives really hard standards, particularly around the contact area. He's got a, he's got an edge to him. 
that maybe has been missing a little bit out of that uh, out of that out of that wallaby environment. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react to him defensively. Um, and they don't have very long to now start to put that squad together in the same way that the Springboks have so that by the time they hit the World Cup, every Wallaby fan can name 1 to 15 and know exactly who's going to play. That, they're, not at that, they're not near that point at the moment. They've got so many changes in the lineup, some through attrition, some through performance, James O'Connor being dropped. So they're just in a very different space to what the Springboks are. And, and unfortunately for Dave and his staff, time is ticking. They don't have a lot of time to figure it out. Uh, I just wanted to say something. It was a little off topic, and it was while we were discussing uh, the box and Dweber. But the other thing that I am I am very keen to see is Dweber. Like when he uh, ahead of the the uh, during the hucker and at the end of the game, like that man was completely like over. He was frothing for the game, and I think we are going to see a, quite a, a much calmer player run out on Saturday against the Wallabies. And I think that's what he needs in order to settle because <laughs> that man was ready to rip heads off and, and, and bite faces at one stage. Yeah, and, 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 and the thing is, he's, he's, a, he's a very dynamic athlete, you know, and I think um, he, he's going to suit the Stormers' style of play really well because he, he, yeah. he is yeah. very good with the ball in hand. He likes being in space. He can play that type of rugby very effectively. And I think for the Stormers, he's a great pickup. He still is a little bit unproven on whether or not he, you know, he's able to to perform consistently at, at, at test level. And this is his chance. This is this is this is the Springbok coaching team saying to him, "Here's another crack. Show us what you can do." Um, but it might be his last crack, to be honest. I think if he if he if he doesn't perform well here, they may have to make other calls. Oh, this is all is tough. But um, lastly, on the Wallabies, Sean, I've got to ask you. Obviously. Um, you know, Laurie Fisher's back, but another experienced campaigner is uh, Bernard Foley coming back. I mean, we know that troubles have had a 10 and the injuries and James O'Connor being dropped. Do you, what role do you see Bernard Foley playing? Do you think, you, you think you come off the bench, almost an experienced head under Noah Lolisio, or do you, do you see um, Bernard Foley getting a start in one of these games? Oh, I, I don't think the plan would be probably to start him. I think he will most certainly be in the mix for the match day 23. But I don't think Lolisia has played that badly that you need to drop him at right now. I'm still trying to come to terms with the fact that they've dropped James O'Connor. Like, um, I really am struggling with that, personally. I, <laughs> I thought, I didn't think he was that bad or in such poor form that they were going to boot him right out the whole squad, especially considering... Um, the amount of injuries they've had in the positions that he covers. But with regards to, to the Iceman, I think we'll see him, um, but I'm not sure what they're going to do this weekend. You probably, I, I would think you probably find that we, he'd probably get some more time next week once they've played us once and kind of figured things out a little bit within themselves because obviously it's been so disruptive. But Something else also says to me that, that Foley's probably going to play a large part in the game coming up this weekend just purely because of, of him being able to settle things just the way he kicks, um, just for, for territory and how he moves, um, moves the team around. You know, that could be um, a way of them to, to un, um, sort of untie the Springbok um, sort of uh, momentum. So it could go both ways. I, I don't see him starting, but I think there's a good chance that he'll get a, a big chunk of minutes in one of the two tests. I just don't know which one. 
Yeah, I think, oh, man, I mean, I've always been a big fan of the Iceman, so it is great to see him back and sort of had a bit of experience in there, and, and I'm really interested to see to see how they how they use him. But lads, before we before we wrap it up and make our predictions, um, we gotta uh, talk about what's happening with the All Blacks and Argentina. Um, just quickly, Dave, do you think for the All Blacks now the biggest challenge now is obviously building from that last game in Ellis Park and trying to create momentum. Obviously, I think the last thing they need now is a, a repeat 2016 and Argentina stealing a win over there in New Zealand. So, do you think for them the mission now is sort of sort of build on that performance and um, uh, and try and uh, they're probably the best position to try to win the championship with two home games against Argentina. Do you think? For them, it's yeah, building from Ellis Park. Yeah, and it, it shows how quickly things in sport change, doesn't it? Like, you know, 10 days ago, they were at the bottom bottom of the world. Like, they, they just couldn't do anything right, and everyone was throwing mud at them. And now you're talking about them winning the championships. You know, that, that's that's <laughs> the, that's how quickly things, <laughs> things change. And, 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 and Foster yep. being, like, the, the, the coach and the favorite to win it, the, the championship from the other day, we were, we were writing his eulogy. Yeah, exactly, and I think what was what was kind of odd, uh, I felt, was the lack of clarity that New Zealand rugby threw around Foster. You know, they had they had one or two bizarre press conferences where people yeah. refused to the head of, heads of New Zealand rugby um, refused to kind of throw support around him. That, that's you know that, that's the challenge I think sometimes with being the coach, as I said before, you, you're the sharp end of the spear and you wear a lot of the criticism. But the the, the All Blacks didn't win under Steve Hansen solely because of Steve Hansen. They won because the whole ecosystem around Steve was was so elite. You know, that's everything from the feeder teams at Super Rugby into his environment, from athletic performance, the commercial side, everything was was just of such a high standard. Um, and so when things go wrong, it's very seldom, I mean, it's never just the head coach, you know. Um, and I felt that Ian Foster was almost being thrown a little bit under the bus in a, in a, in a way that was unfair because I think most of us have sat on the outside of New Zealand rugby for a little while and started to see some cracks that probably weren't there before, you know, and it started, um, I think, in and around COVID with some of the bizarre things that were starting to happen and, and then South African teams leaving Super Rugby and the relationship between us and, and, and New Zealand rugby and then the relationship between New Zealand rugby and, and Australian rugby. Um, and the administrators were in the news a lot and making a lot of noise. Um, and... And some of the on-field performances then of the Super Rugby teams have fallen away because they, they don't have the same competition week in and week out of having to play against um, the best South African teams and having to travel to Argentina and do all of those things. So it's not just Ian Foster's responsibility. You know, Unfortunately, I guess, as a head coach, you accept that at some, at some point the chickens are going to come home to roost and you know, death taxes and the coach will be fired. But it's, it's Steve, uh, Ian Foster who's been involved with the the All Black setup for for a long time didn't suddenly become a, a cut coach just overnight or a bad coach just overnight. Um, so what he has now that that win in, in at Ellis Park has just bought him a little bit more breathing space to try to get things back on track. Um, and I thought it was a great moment, as I've said somewhere else previously, that Adi Severe at the end of the game is in the change room he, even before. The support for Foster came out. He tweeted a photo of himself and Foster sitting there, and he's he's kind of called him my coach or whatever it was. And it was a really public display from a very very senior player of support for the coach. Uh, and I thought in a really authentic way. What I've found is, like most things in life, when the pressure comes on, some people run, some people hide. You know, some people stay. Um, and and there was Audi Severe staying. Um, 
And I thought that was a really powerful leadership moment for, from Sevier and uh, Foster now gets to fight another day, whether he can go, him and Sevier and one or two of his other leaders can really galvanize the group back together um, and get them on track. If they go on to win this championship, you know, we'll all look like idiots, to be honest, uh, because they, none of us thought they were capable of that a few weeks, a few weeks ago. And the other thing is, like, um, when, when, they interviewed, um, uh, when they interviewed him after the game and they were like, so, you know, wh- where do you think you're standing with your head coaching position? And his answer was, I don't know. And you're like, whoa, hang on a second. Like, they haven't yeah. said to you, you've got some time. Like, he was, he just flat out, like, you could just see in his face, like, this is probably my last test match, you know. I don't know, so it was quite bizarre. Yeah, but it was bizarre, yeah. and it's 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 like Sean Sean uh, sorry Sean Sean. It's like Scott Fardy said many many years ago uh, about administrators: they're the invisible men in suits. You know, you you don't that you don't see them at the press conference when the guys in the trenches taking grenades. You know, um, but of yeah. course they are part of that ecosystem that we're talking about. They create the environment for excellence, you know, they're certainly part of creating that environment for excellence, but you won't see them taking too much responsibility. And I thought it was odd to not say to Foster, Foster, these are your KPIs. If X happens, you're in. If Y happens, you're out. And we're super clear about that. Everybody knows what the thing is. Unfortunately, some hard calls need to be made. This is the the precipice at which we're going to make that call. Uh, Otherwise, you're good to go. And, And let's move on. Um, but it seemed to it seemed to me that he wasn't sure. It certainly seemed like Mark Robinson wasn't totally sure what the what the threshold for making the change would be. They have another interesting side of this, which is they have some very good coaches. Scott Robinson, for example, who um, uh, you know is is becoming increasingly more um, uh, what's the word uh, antsy, you know. It seems like he's a bit frustrated. He, he he probably really deserves the opportunity to be the All Black coach. Whether or not he's now prepared to wait another cycle uh, to post World Cup, or whether he'll he'll be enticed by the many many very lucrative offers he'd be receiving from Europe, that's going to be interesting to see now. Um, and like and certainly his situation. Yeah, and it's made it made it made for a difficult situation a difficult situation domestically. Like Ian Foster. Uh, traditionally, the Crusaders have supplied the vast majority of players into the All Blacks, and they probably should at the moment still. Um, but what's the relationship like between Foster and his staff, and uh, and and, Ro- and Robinson and his staff? You know, are, are those groups of people talking to each other as much as they can be? Are they aligning high performance outcomes for the players together in a way that's constructive and, and leading to like success for everybody? Geez, I, I'd have to. I don't, I, I don't know, but. I, <laughs> It, it feels to me from the outside that there's a there's a friction there that that must be a bit uncomfortable for everyone. Yeah, hundred percent. Especially when you have a guy like I'm sure in New Zealand at the moment, Scott Robinson's name has been he's probably mentioned more times than the Prime Minister. Especially when we're losing games, there's always linked to the job and always like one moment you could be preparing for Super Rugby, the next moment you could be, be given a flight to South Africa to coach to coach Test Rugby. But um, yeah, I think um, there's been. We could we could chat all night about the championship this weekend. It's just great to know that we've got some rugby back. And guys, don't forget the game either half past seven on Saturday. Viewers, don't you, you you've, you've heard my feelings about testing half past seven in the morning. Um, but um, it's 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 going to be a big one. Let's make sure you 
we do watch. We will have another pod where we sort of break that once once you know the Wallaby team, which hopefully will be before 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 kick off on Thursday. We will break down the Wallaby team and the Bog team and make our predictions. But um, Dave, first of all, thank you, thank you for joining us. Um, if you want to hear more of Dave's insights, please check out the School of Hard Knock-ons pod on Better Sales today on Spotify. And we we get you we get your podcast. Dave is on there every week with Carlos and. And so, man, there's had a good rugby as well. Luckily, Dave, we were able to steal Dave for the day, and he came off the came off our bench and delivered. Well, while me and Sean <laughs> were man down this week. That's, Dave, thanks for joining us again. Thank you, guys. And Sean, we'll we'll, we'll go again Thursday. We will we will we will vent more about Oppo Seven kickoffs and the and the, and the Thursday test. But I'll I'll save that for when when I, when I got a real drink in my hand. Uh, absolutely. I've actually got a clip out that 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 session you had last week about the upper seven and I've kind of put it on my phone as my alarm ring. So <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I wake up, you freaking out about 7.30 a.m. kickoffs in Adelaide. But uh, yeah, Dave, thanks. Cooks, thanks. Just, just one thing, Dave, you, you mentioned Scott Fardy. Whatever he says is, must be written uh, in, in, as gospel. He's an absolute legend. And the other thing I do quickly want to give a quick shout-out is to the SA woman who – officially the highest ever world ranking they've reached, which is 11th. And uh, they have won five of their six matches this year. So they're looking really, really good, um, building momentum nicely for ahead of the, of, the, of the World Cup. But yeah, 11th, their greatest, their best world, world uh, highest world ranking ever. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome achievement. But um, thanks, thanks, Sean. Thanks, Dave. And um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, and thank you to our sponsors. But bet.ca.za and um, we'll be back with another Argybus pod very soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys.